This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. I'm Martin Strong, and let's get right to the consumer news from the past week. There was lots of corporate intrigue this week going on in the world of tech. OpenAI is the very famous startup company which introduced the world to the ChatGPT chatbot, kicking off the world of generative artificial intelligence. Earlier this month, OpenAI suddenly and mysteriously fired their CEO, Sam Altman, generally considered one of the worldwide pioneers in the field of AI. That caused a huge outcry from employees. Most of them threatened to quit. Then early last week, it was announced that Altman had been hired by Microsoft to head up their AI division. But it's worth noting that Microsoft is a big shareholder in the open AI company. Microsoft owns 49% of the shares. But not long after that news went public, it was announced late last Tuesday night that Altman had been rehired by OpenAI, and the board that originally fired Altman has now been replaced. The company still hasn't really said why he was fired in the first place. One industry expert was quoted as saying that all that turmoil just shows how fragile the AI ecosystem is right now. Some encouraging news about inflation in Canada this past week. The numbers show that in October, the rate slowed to 3.1%. That's down from 3.8% in September. Much of that was due to some lower gas prices that we've been seeing at the pumps. So does that mean we'll see a bit of relief in interest rates soon? Well, don't hold your breath for that, though it probably means we won't see any further rate hikes by the Bank of Canada Canada for a while. The chief economist for the Bank of Montreal, Douglas Porter, says these new inflation stats drive home the point that there's no need for the central bank to raise interest rates, though he says before the bank can even consider lowering them, we'll need a lot more evidence that inflation has some true downward momentum. He figures that uh, we won't know that for at least another six months. Vancouver's Auditor General says the city's park board can do better when it comes to making sure that the fees that we're being charged to use the pools, community centers, and other services are being used properly. Auditor General Mike McDonnell says while the board uses some specific processes to set its fees, it doesn't have what he calls an effective framework to apply those revenues fairly to all of its different assets and services. WorkSafe BC says new rules are coming to make sure workers are protected when removing asbestos from construction sites. WorkSafe recently announced an online registry of licensed asbestos experts who can help contractors or homeowners verify that they are hiring people who are indeed licensed and know what they're doing when they're renovating or uh, doing demolition work involving asbestos. This is all as new rules take effect in the new year that make sure that only licensed pros are hired to remove asbestos from old buildings. WorkSafe says asbestos-related illnesses, including several types of cancer, remain the leading cause of worker fatalities in BC. And if you're a sports fanatic and a collector, you might have a jersey from your favorite Canuck or another player 
There are other teams, not these days though. And one of those jerseys might even be game worn, which makes it all the more valuable. Well, there's an upcoming auction at Sotheby's that will take the whole game worn jersey idea to the next level. Sotheby's auction house is predicting the six soccer shirts that were once worn by Lionel Messi during Argentina's winning run at last year's World Cup of Soccer in Qatar could sell for more than $10 million US. That would make them the most valuable collection of sports memorabilia ever sold. The current record for a game-worn item of soccer memorabilia is a shirt worn by Diego Maradona in Argentina's infamous 1986 2-1 quarterfinal victory over England. It sold for $9.3 million at Sotheby's in London in May of last year. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And when we come back, it's a look at some of the new rules involved with residential property and selling residential property. And our guest is from the accounting firm Manning Elliott, and he's got great advice that could save you a lot of money if you're selling a property. Plus, we'll go through the new Airbnb regulations as well. That's all coming up next. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And if you're buying or selling a real estate property, taxes can be a huge issue, huge, really huge. And if you've got a house you're looking to sell, you may pay more tax on its sale based on new tax rules in effect this year. And with me now is someone who can help you navigate those waters. Dumin Battelle is a senior tax manager at Manning Elliott Accountants and Business Advisors. You can find them online at manningelliott.com. There's two T's in Elliott. Uh, that's the website. And uh, Dumin is here now. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Right. So this is kind of an interesting topic uh, because, uh, you know, people who who sell real estate or flip real estate are often on the hook for a huge tax bill. So so let's talk a little bit about these new regulations. What What has been happening in that department? Yeah, certainly. So it's, uh, you know, taxes are getting a lot more complex than they used to be. And, you know, we've seen the way real estate's been moving to an upwards trend in the Vancouver, um, lower mainland over the last couple of years. So it's it's certainly a hot topic, some, something this area and the government's been trying to get a bit of a handle on. So it's, it's one of the measures they've essentially put into place to um, to not make it as lucrative for short-term people to come in and kind of flip properties. So they've, they've created some rules for a workaround for somebody who has held a property for a short term of time. And when they sell that property, instead of the gain on that being a capital gain, it's actually not converted to business income. So essentially it's taxed at a higher rate um, as compared to if they, if they held it for um, a period longer than a year, essentially. Right. So it's, it sounds like it's just become more complicated for people. Yeah, certainly has. Yeah. So um, that's where Manning Elliott comes in. If uh, people want to talk to uh, uh, somebody like you, a senior tax manager, uh, can they just get a hold of you? They go to manningelliott.com and uh, set up a, a consultation. Is that kind of the process? 
Yeah, certainly. When you uh, when you go to our website, there's a, a pop up bubble will come up if you've got any sort of questions. You're able to browse. You're able to see the different uh, services that we offer. And when one of the pop ups uh, pop up, pop up um, you're able to put in your question, and that actually gets sent directly to our marketing team, and they can um, navigate that question in whichever direction your question may be. Um, you know, whether it's you needing help with a tax problem, or if you're if you're needing kind of annual compliance services. Um, auditing, um, private companies, public companies, any of the services that we offer, it can all be found on our website. And any questions that you have, you're able to kind of reach the website and um, navigate from there, essentially. Yeah, and people can get some expert advice, especially on these new tax rules. And and I guess basically, like you say, it's an effort by the government to kind of uh, get a handle on, you know, runaway real estate prices and, you know, basically the housing crisis that's going on. So the the uh, the tax changes are coming in basically to affect that. And uh, you always hear the term flipping a house, like somebody flips a house. Let's get a definition of what that really means. What does flipped property literally mean to you? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, essentially a flipped property is, is a housing unit um, of a taxpayer, um, something other than that qualifies as an inventory. So inventory is more important if somebody is in the normal course of buying and selling properties all the time. Um, they would already be paying business income on that. So if it's somebody that's flipping the property, just quickly buying it and selling it, um, it's property that's own, a house or unit owned by a taxpayer located in Canada that was owned by the taxpayer for less than 365 consecutive days prior to the disposition of the property. So in a summarized way, if somebody purchased a property and they held it for less than a year and they sold that property, that would be considered a flipped property by definition. Right, within a year. So will these new rules apply to everyone who sells a house that they've had for less than a year? Are there exemptions? Yeah, there's definitely exemptions. Um, so they're not trying to tackle everybody with these rules, but um, the exemptions, it's quite quite a bit of a list that you have to go through. And, and I'll go through some of the examples and some of the exemptions that exist. So if somebody sells a house and the reason for the sale within, for a period less than a year is due to the death of a taxpayer or somebody that's related to the taxpayer, that's one of the exemptions. Um, that does not qualify for flip property. A related person becoming a member of the taxpayer's household or the taxpayer becoming a member of the household of a related individual, that's not considered a help flip property. Right. If there's any sort of a divorce or separation, um, and if you know the couple or they're living apart for at least 90 days prior to the disposition of the property, that does not consider um, the sale due to divorce or separation is not considered flip property. So that's an exemption. If there's any sort of safety to the taxpayer or person related to the safety um, and the disposition is due to the safety precautionary measures, that's not a dis- uh, flip property. And if there's any sort of disability or liability or illness of the taxpayer or somebody related to the taxpayer, not considered flip property, that's one of the exemptions. Mm-hmm. And if it's yes. an eligible relocation of the taxpayer or the spouse for work purposes as well, that's also not considered flip property as well. And there, there's certainly two more um, exemptions as well. And if you go through those, if there's any insolvency issues, 
somebody's not able to afford the mortgage and you know they're going bankrupt or insolvent um, there's destruction or expropriation of the property that's also one of the other exemptions as well so like i mentioned it's, it's a quite quite a bit of a list that you have to walk through to see if you fit into this but if anybody's held a house that they're selling before a year i would be concerned to at least consider if these rules apply to you or not yeah, so I, I guess you because you could get caught in these rules because there's a big difference with someone who buys a house as an investment and then sells it six months later, as opposed to someone who buys a house and then suddenly uh, has a, a health problem or they get a job in another city or they get divorced within a year and they have to sell that house. Correct. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, it, it, it sounds like a lot of rules to navigate and, uh, that's why, uh, Manning Elliott is there. Uh, so go to Manning, Manning on the website, uh, E L L I O T T. I always, I never know when the word Elliott or the name Elliot has two T's or one T this one has two. <laughs> so Manning Elliott.com. Now, um, remind me when these rules are in effect and uh, in which years will they be relevant to the taxpayer? Do, do, do they suddenly go back a ways or, or when do they start for people? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So they've actually already been in effect. They were introduced kind of late last year and they're in effect um, for any property that's sold within 2023. So if somebody purchased a property within 2023 and sells in 2023 or recently in 2022 purchased a property and is selling a property in 2023, these rules will def- um, could certainly apply to them and something for them to consider. Right, right. So what difference does this mean in dollar value of the taxes paid? Are you able to provide an example to someone and say, say you made $100,000 profit? on selling a house in 2023 this year, and you only held it for a few months. Yeah, certainly. So if, um, you know, if, if you sold a house in 2023 and it's considered flip property and you're subject to these new rules, um, you'll now be taxed at a, um, at an ordinary income rate, which is 53 and a half percent as compared to originally when you sell a property, when these rules didn't exist, um, it may qualify as a capital gain. And the difference is a sense substantial. So a capital gains tax at 26.75% as compared to 53.5%. So if you're looking at a gain of a hundred thousand dollars, um, originally you may be left with close to $73,000 if it's taxed as capital gain. But now with these new rules, you're only going to be left with about $46,500 after tax. And of course, that doesn't take into account any legal or professional fees, um, you know, any of those lawyer fees or anything that's been involved. But just from a pure tax and after-tax perspective, the difference is substantial just between the rates that are into play with these new rules. Yeah, and I, I, it just sounds like uh, a situation where you might want to talk to somebody because uh, a little bit invested now can save you a lot of money later, right? Certainly, it's it's always good to plan ahead and really be sure, um, you know, what if your property qualifies or if it falls under these new rules or not, and just a peace of mind, and you can plan for the expected uh, tax bill that's to come down the road. Right. So are there any other non-compliance penalties that you have to watch out for uh, from the CRA? Yeah, certainly there are. Um, So that's a great question as well. So, um, you know, one of the things about the non-compliance penalties is that if somebody takes a position that, you know, this 
should be a capital gain and CRA disagrees that, you know, you're subject to the new property flipping rules and you purchase a property solely for the purpose of making a profit, held it for a couple of months, found a new buyer, and then you sold it. Um, but you treated it as capital from your perspective and you reported it as a capital disposition on your tax return. Um, not only will the CRA um, say that you have to pay the difference, but there could be gross negligence penalty equal to 50% of the additional taxes owing. Um, this is in addition to the interest charges. So the 50% penalty of additional taxes owing could be quite substantial. Wow. Wow. Did you call that a ghost penalty? <laughs> no, just a substantial penalty. Just a substantial a gross, penalty. Gross negligence penalty. Wow. Yeah, because that can be an, a very unpleasant surprise. Yeah, it certainly can. Yeah. So, keeping so in I, mind that's in ahead. addition to the taxes that you would already owe. Yeah. So, so all, all around kind of a nasty surprise. Um, yeah. so are there any other related items, uh, that you, that you feel are important to put out there for people who are, who are kind of in the market to sell a house, maybe that they only owned for a year? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, one of the other things to mention is CRA, it's really on to your question about non-compliance penalties and if there's anything CRA is doing about these. So one of the things we've noticed that CRA has actually commenced auditing for somebody who's relied on the principal residence exemptions. So part of the property flipping rules is uh, use of the principal re residence exemption and potentially that being denied in certain cases. So um, if somebody's actually sold a property in the last recent years, and they've used their principal residence exemptions, and especially those in particular who've sold multiple properties in the last 10 years and have always relied on the principal residence exemptions, those may be of interest to the CRA, and they're um, conducting audits to gather some information on those to see if you've got a fact pattern of flipping houses, and you know, it should be if you should be taxed at a uh, business income rate rather than the capital gain. And also if your principal residence exemption should be valid or challenged over the last several years when it was claimed and used. All the more reasons why you need a, a tax professional on your side and you can find them at Manning Elliott. Go to manningelliott.com. We're talking to Daman Batal. He's a senior tax manager at manningelliott.com. And we're talking about uh, the new uh, residential real estate rules and uh, how they can affect you in a big way with a big tax bill. And when we come back, I want to ask you about the uh, new Airbnb rules, among uh, some other things, and how they may affect a lot of people. That's all when uh, Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. It's Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And our guest this afternoon, is uh, Daman Batal. He is a senior tax manager at manningelliot.com, manningelliot, uh, E-L-L-I-O-T-T. -T. And uh, we're talking about residential real estate and the pitfalls of uh, selling residential real estate, especially if you sell it uh, within a year after you bought it, that's technically flipping, and how uh, you can be dinged under new rules with uh, with uh, 
extra taxes and it could cost you a lot of money. Um, and Dumb, and before we continue on, uh, for people who don't know about Manning Elliott, I mean, you are much more than just a simple accounting firm. Tell us about what Manning Elliott does and how they can help people. Yeah, so just um, some background on Manning Elliott. So Manning Elliott's a CPA firm. We've got offices located in Vancouver, Burnaby, Surrey, and Abbotsford, um, just within British Columbia. We've we've got a personalized accounting and business advisory services team, um, and we provide services to a wide range of industries with seven major practice areas, um, them being tax, private companies, public companies, NPOs, business advisory, valuations, and specialty. We've been uh, around since 1952, and we've experienced tremendous growth and development within our firm. Uh, we've currently got over 200 designated CPAs and business advisors with years of experience and success. And Manny Elliott provides accounting and business services to a wide range of industries. So if you've got any sort of question or help, feel free to um, you know contact us for any, any of your needs. Yeah, go to manningelliot.com. And uh, like you say, uh, you handle, you know, very large companies all the way down to very small companies, family businesses, uh, people who uh, are a one person business and people who uh, maybe are selling a home that they've owned for less than a year, which is technically flipping. And uh, it's all part of new tax rules that the government has put in trying to kind of uh, dampen this housing market with the crazy prices that we're seeing. And one of the things that they're doing is they're cracking down on Airbnb with some new rules. So let, let's talk about uh, Airbnb rules because a lot of people think, uh, you know, you just open up your house and, and rent it out, but it's a little more complicated than that, isn't it? Yeah, certainly it's getting more and more complicated as we speak, actually. Um, so recently about Airbnbs that, uh, you know, it was kind of news to me when I when I heard. So they're proposing to kind of ban Airbnbs and short-term rentals and in most of the major cities within uh, within British Columbia here. And you will no longer be able to rent out your home on a short-term basis unless, you know, you're living in the property and it's your principal residence or you're renting out a portion of it or if you live in a municipality where it's not a highly populated area. So somebody in Vancouver, if they've got an Airbnb, you maybe want to be a little bit more careful and look into these rules to see if you're in compliance with the new regulations that the provincial government has put out. Yeah, and I guess the idea of, say, uh, an Airbnb hotel that they call it, say you own a building with a bunch of suites in it, and you don't live in that building, but you rent out all the suites to an Airbnb uh, you can't do that anymore, can you? Yeah, so buildings may be considered a little bit different as compared to homes. Um, so, you know, buildings may have that, uh, you know, whether it's a hotel or if it's a commercial building, leaving kind of those a little bit aside. But uh, what we kind of see for a lot of vacation rentals and overall, whether it's Vancouver or Kelowna or somewhere within the Fraser Valley, a lot of people just have purchased another piece of property and they've put that on the short-term rental market in an effort to, of course, uh, make some rental income on the side and afford the mortgages that are on the property per se. Um, but those are no longer, but those may no longer be applicable starting with the summer of 2024. So even if somebody um, has any travel plans for, for the summer of 2024, post May of 2024, if you've booked a place, you may want to check to see if you're able to actually use that place on a short-term rental basis. 
Interesting. And I, I guess it's all to just make sure these short-term rentals are made available for people who need long-term rentals because it's it's tough out there to find a place to live. Um, and the the let's talk about uh, just general short-term rental income. Um, and the CRA has some new rules uh, about that, about short-term rental income in general, right? Yes, yeah, so they directly tie into the Airbnb rule. So essentially, if you're not in compliance with the regulations of uh, of these new short-term rental rules, if you're renting out a property that should not be rented and it's not in compliance with the provincial Airbnb short-term rental rules, um, any expenses that you incur to earn that income will be denied on your tax return um, as per new proposed legislation from CRA. Um, so if you've got a short-term rental property, but it shouldn't be rented and you continue to rent it, if you, you'll have to certainly report the rental income, but any expenses you incur to earn that income, including interest, which um, is not a small amount these days, um, may not be actually um, available to you and may be denied on your tax return. Yeah, so it's it's complicated out there, and uh, all the more reason why you should go to Manning Elliott. Go to manningelliot.com, and Dumman Batal is a senior tax manager there at Manning Elliott, and we're talking about the new rules, and uh, I guess uh, we should just get used to new rules all the time, because there there's a lot of... Uh, proposed new tax rules. We're not 100% sure that they're going to happen, but they it seems likely that they will. So what, what are you watching for in terms of new legislation regarding uh, residential homes and taxes and all that stuff? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's always good to keep an eye out and, and talk to your advisors if you're, um, if you've got any questions or if you're in, in cert, um, if you're looking to invest or if you have invested um, you know, the new residential property flipping rules, as we talked about earlier, and then the Airbnb rules. So those are just some of the examples. And, you know, one of the other things you can briefly talk about is the new trust reporting rules. Um, you know, they may apply to somebody who just owns a home, but it may apply a bit more to, you know, larger corporations as well. But it, all real estate related still, it's, um, you know, for example, if the main the main issue with the new trust reporting rules is there's additional uh, compliance and reporting you may have to do on an individual or partnership or corporation basis if if you've got a property that you're holding for the benefit of somebody else um, whether you're holding that property for the benefit of um, your children or if, or if if this is a corporation you've got the individual or a different corporation on legal title for mortgage purposes but the beneficial interest of that property lies with somebody else, um, you may be subject to these new trust reporting rules. Mm-hmm. And and there's something that, uh, I'm not sure what this means, but uh, an underused housing tax. Is that a similar thing? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's, it's underused housing tax is a little bit different. Um, so, you know, for 2022 and 2023, it may be so very relevant, but um, you know, what we're hearing is there's proposed legislation that it may may not impact a, um, you know, an everyday Canadian citizen or permanent resident. But essentially, just a brief overview on what underused housing taxes um, was introduced in 2022. The 2022 tax returns were, um, you know, they were, they've been pushed a couple of times for the reporting deadlines, but they're at the moment, they're all due March 2024. But what the underused housing tax is, it's, it's another 1% tax that's been implemented um, if you own a house that's considered underused. 
Um, it's based on very complex criteria in terms of the ownership of the property, um, the citizenship status of the ownership, um, and you know, there's different criteria for somebody who has to file an underused housing return and different criteria for somebody who has to pay an underused housing tax return. Um, so, you know, in a nutshell, if if you if you're subject to these underused housing tax rules, especially if you're a non-resident, um, somebody that's not a Canadian citizen or permanent resident of Canada, and you, you've invested in the Canadian real estate, I'd really encourage you to look into these new underused housing tax rules to see if you're um, one subject to the tax rules, and second, if you've got any um, applicable taxes payable or reporting requirements. Yeah, and I, I guess that's why every year you have to uh, fill out all those forms uh, with your your house. If you own a house that you live in, you've got to fill in the, those forms. And if you don't, you get charged 1%. Yeah, so this is actually totally in addition to, um, I, I believe you're referring to the speculation vacancy tax. So this is actually a tax which is in addition to the speculation and vacancy tax. So um, it's totally new and separate. Um, and, you know, you'd, you'd have to talk to your advisors to really know to see if this actually applies to you or not. But it's not something that's circulated or it's not a form that's delivered to you that you have to sign on a regular basis. It's totally something kind of new and out of the blue. Right. New and out of the blue taxes. All the more reason to talk to the folks at Manning Elliott. Go to manningelliott.com. We've been talking to Dumman Batal. And uh, let's quickly recap uh, what we've been talking about, because there's all these new rules. And I guess the main one that people really need to know about is um, the new residential property flipping rules. And uh, quickly define what what they define as uh, flipping a house. Yeah, so it's if one, you've got a house that's been, um, you know, that you purchased with an intention to sell um, and you held it for particularly less than 365 days and you sold it, um, it could be considered considered flip property. And what that could mean is, um, you know, it's it's considered the gain on that flip property will be business income to you and it'll be taxed at a higher rate. So it won't be taxed as a capital gain anymore. A lot of the times when we generally talk about selling a house or a property in the back of back of our, our mind or the gal hats of clients that I've talked to, they'll kind of think, oh, I have to just pay a ta- capital gain on that. It's only going to be 25% approximately of the total gain. Um, that may not be the case anymore if you buy a property and sell it within less than a year. And, and another kind of thing to consider is um, even if you think it's a house that you purchase and you're going to claim your principal residence exemption on that you stayed in the house, CRA is watching for that behavior and, and, and kind of track history of people claiming their principal residence exemption. So th- those may be up to denial as well or subject to review at least. So if you've purchased a house and sold it within less than a year, I recommend to talk to a tax advisor to get some advice to see if uh, uh, the tax rate that will be applicable on that, on that gain that you incur when you sell that property. Right. And I guess you expect to see a lot more changes to the tax code when it comes to re- real estate. Certainly, yeah. We're seeing uh, new legislation come up. And, you know, as we speak, uh, something else is in the hopper. And some of it's certainly proposed legislation. Just wanted to recap and mention that, you know, it's some of the information that I've mentioned today are, are general conversations and it's not all legislation at the moment. 
um, especially including some of the new Airbnb rules. So if you know if you've got a question, I recommend you um, confirm it with your tax advisors or contact one of us at Manning Elliott. Right. ManningElliott.com is the website. And uh, Daman Batal, uh, thanks so much for talking to us. No problem. Pleasure to be here. Uh, all right. Delman Batal is a senior tax manager at Manning Elliott. And as I say, ManningElliott.com is the uh, website to go to. This is Vancouver Consumer. I'm Martin Strong. And when we come back, uh, speaking of rent, uh, you'll be uh, not surprised to hear that uh, Vancouver leads the way with uh, high rents. But uh, you might be surprised to find out that this is not a new situation. It goes back quite a ways in the lower mainland. And I've got that story when Vancouver Consumer continues right after this. This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back. I'm Martin Strong, and I don't have to tell you, it's tough out there for renters. Not only are available places to rent few and far between, but the cost has become out of reach for a lot of people. According to a report last week by Rentals.ca and Urbanation, Vancouver leads the way across Canada with the most expensive rent. Their data shows that the average one-bedroom was listed at $2,872, while a two-bedroom was $3,777. That's a 14% increase from October of last year. Toronto was the second highest at about $150 lower for that one-bedroom on average. So what's the answer? Here in BC and Vancouver especially, governments have cracked down on short-term rentals like Airbnb and Verbo. They're hoping this will open up these rooms and suites to local people who can rent them long-term. New provincial rules now say you can't have more than one short-term rental per property. So the idea of running an Airbnb hotel is now out of the question. You can only rent out space if you live in that house or apartment. But as for right now, it's plenty expensive to find a place to live in the lower mainland. But this situation is not isolated to the current day. If you go back to this day in 1934, you would see the cover of the Vancouver Sun sporting this headline, eight arrivals for each departure. It's a reference to how many people have been moving to Vancouver in that past year. And in 1934, it led to a huge demand for rental units. Having such a growing population is something they could have seen coming. Because since the early 1900s, there was a huge push inviting people from across Canada and around the world to come settle in Vancouver. They really wanted people to move here. In fact, when 1899 turned to 1900, the city's slogan was, and I'm quoting now, in 1910, Vancouver will have 100,000 men. So that was the goal in 1900, that 10 years later, there would be 100,000 people, I assume, when they say men. But fast forward to the 1930s, and you had problems. It was the Depression. Wages were low. There simply weren't enough houses and apartments to go around. And building costs were skyrocketing. Many felt that uh, once the Depression economy bounced back, 
this would finally get the lower mainland back to normal. But the people just kept coming, and it led to some severe overcrowding in Vancouver, especially in the West End. By 1946, it got so bad that a number of homeless Second World War vets actually occupied the Hotel Vancouver. It was a dramatic development. It got lots of press, with the public mostly on the side of the homeless vets. But it didn't do much to change things, with housing always in short supply until the 1960s. That's as the era of apartment living began to take hold. And in 1966, something very important happened with the passing of the Strata Titles Act. It was legislation that allowed for the creation of condominiums. But if you're looking for a place to rent, I wish you good luck whether it's in the 30s or today. I'm Martin Strong, and when we come back with more of Vancouver Consumer, it's some good news when it comes to inflation and especially gas prices. That story and all the consumer news of the week is next. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of the advertiser. The opinions expressed are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.